A friend tells a story about two fellows walking down the beach, a beach littered with stranded starfish. One fellow picks up a starfish and throws it back into the ocean. And his friend says, Why on earth do that? That won't make any difference at all. And the fellow who threw the starfish back in the ocean looks around at his friend and says, Well, it certainly made a difference for that starfish. And in there somewhere, in that story somewhere, is the reason we should be making what even seems like a tiny effort. We all need to do something. Welcome to Climate Conversations. I'm your host, Robert McLean. It's so great to have you on board. Climate Conversations is assembled here in Shepparton, in northern Victoria, Australia, on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people. Yes, the stolen lands of the Yorta Yorta people. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. I thought that small story about the starfish was worth repeating. But let's shift now to the Australian Conservation Foundation, which ran a webinar recently featuring Professor David Lindemar, who talked about saving our native forests in Victoria. Professor Lindemar is based at the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the Australian National University. He is also the world's leading expert in national resource management, conservation, science and biodiversity conservation and a foremost expert on Australia's native forests. We'll hear just a small piece of what he said at the webinar and you'll find a link to the actual recording in the show notes. What I really wanted to do was to summarise really what's almost four decades worth of work in the Central Highlands and give you some different aspects to what's really happening in these forests and why it's so important that we start to embrace the approach of better protection. Okay, so what I wanted to do here is is to give some some perspectives on fire, really important because fire intersects very much with logging as we're gonna see in the next half an hour or so and talk about what's happening before the fire what happens after fire, and then how fire and logging interact. We'll talk about fire again in terms of why it's important to increase protection. And particularly the the notion of greater protection for forests is really based very much now, not only on science, but also on economics. So typically what happens in my, my day is that I get about five to seven hate mails every day, including the fact that I'm not a scientist. Uh, amongst all other stuff. So to give you a bit of background, I first started working in these wet forests of Victoria outside of Melbourne in 1983, July 1983. So we're now past 39 years. And fire has been a critical part of understanding what goes on in not only those forests, but elsewhere in southeastern Australia where we've worked. So there's been a series of fires right up until the Black Summer fires that we've just finished, fortunately. But fire's been part of our work in forests, plantations, woodlands, coastal heaths. And we've written several books and many peer-reviewed scientific articles on this. And based on some commentary that I had today that uh, I don't publish any peer-reviewed science, um, I've just put the, the latest Google Scholar citations to indicate that the said person indicating that that's not the case is actually wrong in terms of the number of citations by other scientists of our work, um, just to indicate that we do have some skin in this game and some credentials. So we do a lot of long-term 
large-scale ecological studies in, in my group. And they, they span not only Victoria and New South Wales, the Jarvis Bay Territory, but right up through into southeast Queensland. So this the focus of this talk is really on the forests of southeast, uh, the southeast and the central highlands. But there are some data sets that also come from northeastern Victoria and span right across the fire footprint of 2019-2020. We'll come to that in a moment. So just to, to give you some background, first of all, before the fire, and this is really important because the key part of understanding fire effects is really weather and climate. So climate is long-term conditions and weather is short-term changes, such as the ones that we're having at the moment. And there's no doubt the climate is changing and it's changing incredibly rapidly. So the normal background rates for CO2 in the atmosphere around about 280 parts per million. As of August the 7th, it was 419 parts per million. And we know that there's a very strong link between how much CO2 is in the atmosphere and temperatures, with 2019 being one of the hottest and driest years on record. The IPCC has us at 1.5 degrees uh, above background rates by 2030. Uh, the recent modelling that I've seen indicates we're already at about 1.2, 1.3 degrees extra. I think in terms of fire, one of the key things is this notion of the forest fire danger index. And if we look at the prevalence of extreme days, they've gone up tenfold since I was born in 1960. So <clears throat> if we want to look at, at measurements of what's going on with CO2 in the atmosphere, here's, a, here's a, the very famous Keeling curve, and it shows what's going on in terms of CO2 levels in the atmosphere that are directly measured. And I first started working in plant physiology in 1981, when parts per million were about 340. So in my, my short scientific career, we've gone from about 340 to close to 420. So we've got some serious issues to do, uh, to deal with in forests. And we'll talk about the carbon potential in a, in a few minutes. So this is a review indicating that there's 57 different studies which have showed the strong link between how the climate is changing and the risk of wildfires. So underneath these climate and weather drivers of fire, we also know that the condition of forests before the fire has a really important effect on how forest responds. So we know that forests that are old at the time of a fire we see that the fire itself is much lower in severity. We see that animals are more likely to persist in older forests when the forest burns. Animals are more likely to recolonize the forest faster. And patterns such as seed germination and regeneration are also much faster. Now, what I've done in almost every one of these slides is I've put the, the citation to the work just to head off this notion from particular individuals that we don't publish our science. We also know the flip side of this is that if a forest is young at the time that it burns, the fire is much more severe. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. There are few important, fewer important biological legacies, such as large, big, living and dead trees and uh, understory that naturally regenerates. And the species recovery patterns are much, much slower. 
So this is a really important point in terms of understanding forest resilience. It matters in terms of what's burning and how the system recovers. So let's now move to during the fire. And we see that there are some actually very strong relationships between when a forest is logged and the severity of fire. So this graph shows the relationship between the age of a forest along this axis and the probability of canopy fire on this axis. Now, canopy fires are the ones that kill people and damage extensive areas of forest. We see for about the first seven years, the probability of a can canopy fire is, is almost zero. And then in the ensuing years, it increases seven times to nearly 70% probability of a canopy fire. And it doesn't start to decline till a forest reaches about 80 years. So this is a very distinctive hump-shaped curve. And we'll come back to that because it's important to understand that this is what we call a non-linear effect. What we also know is that this work that was published in 2014 is not the only set of studies that is now showing this effect. And you can see a little list of them down here, uh, including some very recent papers showing that log forests are in fact very fire prone. So we can rework our data set as we've done here, where we look at which sites were logged going this way, sorry, unlogged going this way and log sites going this way. And we can see this again, this hump shaped curve and this distinct pattern that forests roughly to about 40 to 50 years after they've been logged and regrown are very prone to much greater levels of high fire severity. Now there was a paper published at about the same time as we first published ours by uh, a forester at University of Melbourne and a bunch of other foresters with him in 2014, it said there's no relationship between logging and fire. So actually when you plot their own data, you actually see that there's, there's a, um, a hump shape in the curve. But the thing that's quite remarkable is that the title of the paper, which I put down in the bottom of the slide says, timber harvesting does not increase fire risk and severity. But in fact, in, the, in their own paper, they say there was an apparent increase in the severity of crown fire with time since logging. So as they say, I rest their case. The important thing is that we see these kinds of effects, not only in the central highlands forests, but also in the forests of the northeast of Victoria. So this was a paper published uh, a year ago, and we see the same hump shaped curve um, showing this relationship between the age of the forest and the probability of crown burn. Okay, so what we've then wanted to do was to explore this in more detail across the entire fire footprint of 2019-2020. And this graph is really important and I'll take a little bit of time to go through what it's showing. So we have a measure of the fire weather, it's called the forest fire danger index. Green shows fairly um, benign conditions. Still, you still get fires. We get moderate conditions here in, in, um, in yellow and then extreme conditions here in red. 
And what we see is that fire, the probability of canopy damage is always uh, higher under um, more extreme conditions in the red. And you can see that Victoria, Southern New South Wales, Northern New South Wales. But the other thing that's really important to see here is that a harvested or log forest always burns at higher severity than an intact forest. So that's the difference between harvested and undisturbed. And we see that play out not only in Victoria, but also New South Wales and Northern New South Wales. And in many cases, the differences in the uh, probability of crown damage are actually quite substantial, almost 20% here, uh, about 15% here, and closer to about 5% in this case. So the summary points are really important here. Log forest always burns at higher severity than intact forest, always, under all weather conditions. But I think the thing that's really important here is that log forests burning under moderate fire weather burn at higher severity than intact forests burning under extreme conditions. So you need to think about what that's saying. That's saying that when we log forests, we have moderate fire weather, they still burn at a greater severity than intact forests under extreme conditions. So logging is adding significantly to the fire burden that we're seeing in our forests. And that means our forests have got to deal not only with being burnt, being logs, but also the increase in severity of those logged areas. And the thing that's important is that we're not alone in what we're finding now. This is a paper published just a few weeks ago. David's observations make much more sense when you can see the slides that go with his comments. And you'll find a link to the Australian Conservation Foundation presentation in the show notes. And now we shift to a webinar organised by the Australia Institute, at which the guest was Senator Hanson Young. The title for the webinar was Pulling the Climate Trigger, Environment Laws Fit for a Crisis. You'll find a link to that event in the show notes. But first we'll have a short piece from the event. As you said, Australia's uh, environment is under massive threat right now. We, have, we are a world leader in fact, of extinction, and uh, which is just a terrible record to have. Um, I prefer that we were a world leader of protecting our environment, but right now um, we are really lagging behind. Even our iconic species like the koala is facing extinction, and that is just mind-boggling. You know, when you travel around the world and you tell people that Australia's koala is on the brink of extinction, people are shocked. How on earth has this happened? And it has been supercharged by uh, habitat loss and uh, the threats of, of the climate crisis. And you can see that in um, plain sight when you look at those the footage of the summer bushfires. And the, those images that went around the world of koalas uh, burnt because of the bushfires was a very powerful message of what we are facing. Um, our environment is being uh, is on the brink of collapse. Uh, and yet ignoring the climate crisis is making this a whole lot worse. So our bill, a climate trigger bill, um, what it does is it allows for um, our environment laws to take into consideration the climate impacts, the pollution uh, of any new projects. Now, it's kind of crazy, right, that if you have a coal or gas 
project or a big uh, development that needs to go through an environmental assessment. Right now, the Environment Minister can look at the criteria and say, well, uh, nothing to see here, fine, uh, give it the, the, the green tick, um, without considering at all uh, the, the climate pollution impact, the, the impact that climate change is going to have on that environment and elsewhere. So our bill puts a, um, a, a new clause which forces the Minister of the Day to consider the climate impacts of any project uh, before giving an assessment. And it's split at two levels. Um, at the highest level for those projects that are emitting over 100,000 tonnes, it says, no, we can't have this. And we can't. If we're going to deal with dangerous climate change, we can't keep making climate change worse. So they would be ruled out. But for those that fall under, every project has to be assessed on the basis of their pollution, the impact of their pollution, and it has to be taken into the assessment overall. And um, this is because, as we know, um, we can't just uh, kind of uh, just cut pollution going forward, we have to be cutting pollution that already exists. So the last thing we need to do is um, have our environment minister signing off on projects that are going to make things even, even harder to deal with. And don't forget, you'll find the link to that webinar in the show notes. That wraps up this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your company. It was great to have you along. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And please, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with your friends. And as I said earlier, take care.